morning. Um, just uh, glad to be here this morning to be able to be in chapel and to read the word and, and study the word together and and uh, grow in our walk with the Lord together. So uh, if you would, would you turn to Philippians chapter two is where we're at. Making our way through the book of Philippians. And this morning we are covering chapter two and the first four verses, verses one, one, two, three, and four of chapter two. And so starting in verse one, it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pray this morning, and then we'll, then we'll get into it. Lord, uh, we, we pause. We thank you for this time to gather this morning, to, that you brought us each here. And uh, thank you for the life and the breath that you give us. Uh, thank you for your word, that we can come here and hear from your word, that we can take it in. I, I pray that you would use it this morning that your spirit would, would well up inside of each person, convict where we need it, change us, transform us, Lord, um, according to your purposes, according to your word, that we might be a people that are, that are one, that are united in Christ, united together, standing firm for the faith of the gospel together, and, and also a, a heart of love and humility towards each other. So I uh, thank you for this time. Change us and transform us, Lord, now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul begins here in chapter 2. He says in verse 1, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, his in, in my translation, uh, the, the first word is so. Um, you may have a translation where it may be therefore. You might have a therefore um, close to the beginning. So it's tying this, this chapter 2, verses 1, is tied back to um, what we heard last week from Mr. Ostrand in verses, chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. And in chapter 1, uh, Paul writing here to these Philippian believers from jail, we've learned, he says to them, as they have, um, as they have partnered with him in the gospel, they've, they've uh, sent to, to comfort him in his prison uh, while he's in jail, and, and he tells them only, in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so this is a continuation of that. This is, this is really tied into that. This is how we can continue to show a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. We've, we've come, we've bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come to know the gospel of grace, 
that sinners are redeemed not by our works, not by the things that we do, but only by the work of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we come to the gospel and, and it changes us. And now he's telling us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So this is a continuation. And, and he goes on and he, and he uh, talks about from last week, as Mr. Osterin pointed out in verse 27, he says that whether, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He wants to hear that they, this church, these believers in Philippi, are standing firm together. That they're one, standing firm for the gospel, side by side. And, and we, we saw that last week. And so, and not afraid, and not frightened by your opponents, he says. And so he's, he's in that last part of chapter 1, telling, how, telling them how can they together stand for the gospel when exteriorly people are trying to cut them down. And so they must stand together in the faith of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. And even in the midst of persecution, which he is facing at this moment for the sake of the gospel, Paul is in prison. And so they must stand against those out exterior um, difficulties together for the, for the sake of the gospel. And now, though, in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he is going to more turn inwardly now. So here's how you stand against external forces. You stand firm in the gospel together. And then now it is turning to each other. How do we keep a, a unity together? Paul's desire here is that these believers in Philippi be unified. They be, another word for it is that they be one together. So it's many Christians he's writing to, if you look at back at verse, verse 1 that we learned, he's learning, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And so again, you can imagine them reading this letter. And it's addressed to the whole church, to all the believers, individually and corporately together, the church. And so he says here, and what he's going to do in order to, to motivate them to this unity, he's going to start out and remind them of some of the benefits that they have in Christ. There are graces that we have in Christ, and he's going to remind them of these graces in Christ. And so he says to the Philippian believers, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, Paul knows, he's not asking them if there's any. If, is, there any is there any encouragement in Christ? Oh, is there any comfort from love? He's not, he's not really asking them. He's just, he's just, it's kind of a rhetorical question here. He knows that there is all of these things, all four of these things. When we come to Christ, he knows that all of these things, we have these experiences in Christ. And so what he's doing with the Philippian believers is he is he's reminding them, he's stirring them up to remember, hey, what are the blessings? What are the benefits that we have, that I have in Christ? And he's reminding them of those things to motivate them to to 
unity. So the first thing that he starts out with to remind them what they have in Christ is he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, encouragement is the idea of the act of giving courage or confidence of success. Have you ever been, has, as in Christ, have you ever been encouraged? Has he ever strengthened your soul? Has he ever brought courage to your spirit in Christ? Um, another translation translates it consolation. Is there any consolation in Christ? And what that means, consolation in Christ means a similar thing. It means a, a degree of happiness in distress. A degree of happiness in distress springing from anything that strengthens the mind in hope, joy, courage, and the like. So it's this idea that in stressful times, in times of difficulty, have you ever known the consolation of being in Christ? Have you ever had in the middle of a difficulty a joy that, that comes to you in the middle of a difficulty because you are in Christ, you're His, you belong to Him, you have life in His name. In the middle of a distressing time, has He ever brought comfort and encouragement to your soul? Has He ever brought hope to your soul? Paul is a great example of this. Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he is, what we've seen is he is in prison. I, I think that'd be a distressful time. I don't know what prison is like. I've visited a few in prison, but I've never been in prison myself for any minute, many, any time, any length. Never been. I would imagine that's a, and, and, and it's possible that he could be executed at any, at any time. It's possible. So he's sitting there in prison. Some things are uncertain. He's in a distressful, difficult situation. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. And in that, in that time, we see in the letter of Philippians, he has a joy that cannot be taken from him. It's not a joy that wells up from just himself. It's a joy that comes from being in Christ. It's a joy that comes from God. It's a joy that comes from Christ. It's, God is the hero in the story. Christ is the, is the Savior. And he has this joy. He says he is overflowed with joy at these Philippian believers that they would help him in the middle of his, that they would partner with him in the gospel, that they would send somebody to relieve his, send somebody to relieve his pain and his suffering to help him out. He rejoices that the gospel is going forward. He says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He has got a hope in the middle of a distressful time. If I die and they take my life, I gain. And that is from being in Christ and knowing him. And so Paul knows, and he says that if I continue to live, I'm going to live for the, I'm going to live for the joy and the, and the progress and the joy of your faith. That's my joy. And so he has this consolation that is in Christ, and so do the Philippian believers. They are also persecuted for the gospel. They're also facing difficulties, and they know the peace of Christ in the middle of all of it. It's a benefit that they have in Christ. He goes on and he says, is there any comfort from love? This is Paul's second rhetorical question in this passage, affirming the great comfort from love. Every Christian should know what it is to have Jesus give him the comfort of love. 
2 Corinthians 1.3 says that God is the God of all comfort. There is no circumstance beyond his comfort. Just that idea. There's no circumstance that in Christ he cannot, that is not outside or beyond the comfort of Christ or the comfort of God. I just think of, boy, just even thinking of that, I think of the the Afghan Christians. And um, I think I heard somebody say that some of those pastors there, they say that some of them are saying we're not going anywhere. And just the idea of, of they have the comfort of Christ and God is not limited to any circumstance. It, it, it also goes on, this comfort from love. This is, but this is more than, a, than comfort. This is a comfort from love. Look at the word from love. Not just a comfort from sitting in a lazy boy. I like to go home. I like to go home after a day and sometimes put my feet up. I got my favorite chair. Sometimes I'll kick my children out of it, okay, and, and get in that chair, and it's comfortable. I have a comfort there, okay? But this comfort, what we're talking about here, is not just that kind of comfort. It's a comfort that comes from love. It's, it's a comfort that comes from the love of another, from a loving relationship, a loving relationship with the Lord, a loving relationship with Christ. It's kind of like a loving dad's presence in, in the dark. You're scared in the dark, but what brings comfort is that there's the presence of somebody who loves and cares for you. He's great, a little bit bigger and stronger, and, and, and he loves and cares for you. Now, when I say a little bit, that's in a human term. Again, God is not, is not limited by circumstances. Um, or I, I was just thinking just the, the comfort of love. I took my daughter McKinley to her first football game, Husker game. And uh, we were, ra- you know, just racing to, there's just crowds of people. We were, we ran, we were running around all these crowds because we wanted to get there kickoff time. We were a little late. And just the idea, there's so many people around and so many things going on. But there's that, I just enjoyed being with my daughter. My daughter enjoyed being with me. There's a comfort from love in the middle of everything that's going on. Middle of a ton of people, all these things. And that's what Paul has here is this comfort from love in the middle of jail. All these things going on is this comfort of the love of Christ. And even when we're being disciplined, you think about um, even when you're disciplined with somebody that loves you, there's a comfort in the discipline. Yes, does it hurt? Yes, at a time. But there, there, there's it's somebody that, it comes from somebody that loves you. There's a comfort there that comes from this. So even when the Lord disciplines us, there's a comfort, comfort in it from his love towards us to guilty, unworthy sinners. So this is another grace of being in Christ of the gospel. He goes on, any participation in the Spirit. And this participation simply means fellowship, any fellowship in the Spirit. That is communion or companionship in the Spirit. A fellowship, a communion with God. If there's any communion with God, any fellowship with God, any communion with others of the same spirit, that have the same spirit in them. If there's any of that fellowship, i got to keep moving here. Any affection and sympathy. Um, affection, guys, we, we understand the affection. You have an affection for somebody. What it is is you have an emotion, a fondness towards somebody or something that is dearly loved. I have an affection for my daughter, McKinley, there. You have an affection for my wife. I have an affection for my wife. 
It's a fondness, something from, that is dearly loved. And sympathy can be translated mercy, compassion shown to an offender. Somebody who has offended one and yet receives compassion in return. And Paul's final point here is that he assumes that every Christian, someone who has bowed the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ, knows something of the affection of God and of the mercy of God. And then he, so there's four of these things that he lists, these benefits, these graces that we have in Christ. And each of these gifts, the comfort in Christ, or the the, uh, encouragement of Christ, the comfort from love, the participation in the Spirit, the affection and sympathy, are communicated to us both in a direct way. So sometimes the Lord communicates those to us in a direct way through His Spirit, through His Word. And sometimes He communicates these things to us through other people. I just want to give you a couple of examples. Um... I want to give you an example. There was this time, um, Ruby Schreiber. Some of you guys know Ruby Schreiber. That would be Riley's great-grandmother. Okay, Ruby Schreiber. We knew her well. And um, well, I got this call. I got this call um, that, she, that she was going to, she didn't have long to live. She may not make it through the night. And um, so they, they gave us a call. So we, we went down. We took our family down to the hospital where she was. And we, we went to go visit her. And we, we go in, and the family was there, and we didn't know what to say or anything like that. Or, but we went in, and uh, my, my daughter Mabel was probably, eh, I can't remember how many years back this was. She was maybe four, maybe. And uh, so we, we go in there, and you got this young four-year-old, and she is excited because her birthday is the next day. And so you got Ruby, who, who may not make it through the night, um, and you got this little girl, this little four-year-old who, who is excited that her birthday is tomorrow. And so Mabel goes up, she goes up to uh, Ruby's bedside. She says, Ruby, guess what? My birthday is tomorrow. And Ruby's eyes just in the middle of this distressful time, they light up. A smile comes to her face and she is excited for this little girl whose birthday is the next day when she may, may not make it even through the night. And she went on to kind of tell us that she was ready to go home. You could see it in her, in her, in her, in her the way that she portrayed herself. She was ready to go, to, to go be with the Lord. And I just think of, that's a great example, guys, of Christ communicating through the Spirit through his spirit to Ruby, this comfort from love, this encouragement in Christ, this participation in the spirit, this affection, this sympathy. He was communicating to Ruby, and what it gave her was a peace and a joy and a hope in the middle of a difficult time. She wasn't bitter that this little girl was having a birthday the next day. She was happy for her. She rejoiced with her. She was, she was comfortable with who she was in Christ, and she had a great hope that nobody could take. So he communicates it to us sometimes personally like that. 
And also, I just want us to see that he also, the Lord will communicate each of these things, sometimes through other people. And uh, another, just another illustration of this is when we had our last child, Tobias. So this has been, um, he's almost six, so this has been a few years ago. We had our last child. Well, my, my wife had a C-section. She, gave, she had him in the morning. And then that night, I was, we were down visiting Tobias in his room. I was wheeling my, my wife back to her room. And, she's, and she goes, Clay, I don't, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And then all of a sudden, like that, she lost, her, she lost a lot of her memory. She couldn't remember things. She always knew who I was, but she didn't know where she was. She didn't know what she was doing there. And she couldn't, she just lost her memory. And so, so I'm like, you know, we take her to the, do- you know, the nurses. We get the doctors. They start, this is late at night. They start doing scans at like midnight. Um, they call in some people. And she just cannot, she can't remember things. And so it's just over and over and over the same thing. Where am I? What am I doing? Over and over for a few hours. It's over and over the same thing. And it was, it was difficult. It's like, I asked the nurse, what is, what's going on here? She said, my 25 years, I've never seen this. And, um, and so we got, they gave her some medicine to sleep. Um, she woke up the next morning, same thing. Doesn't remember anything. So we start writing stuff down. You're in, you're in Grand Island, Nebraska. The date is this. You had Tobias as your son. You just had, and it was just like, oh, this is heavy. This is difficult. What's going on here? And in the morning, what we had was our pastor's wife walked in. And her name was Gwen Prettyman. And it was like this, it was like a breath of fresh air. All this struggle that we were going through to have this believer, that there's a fellowship in the spirit with this believer. She comes, she comforts, she talks, she visits. And it was just like a joy, just a, an encouragement that was from Christ through this, this woman. And I remember I left for a moment. I went out just to get something, some toast to eat. And I went out to this, this little room. And I happened to see a childhood friend, a very close friend, just as I walked out there. And, and I was getting toast. He says, what's going on? And he happened to have a, his wife was in at the hospital at the same time, having a baby. And he's like, well, hey, how's it going? You know, we're, we're great friends. One of my best friends growing up. And, and and I just, I just like, I tell them, yeah, I just start weeping. I'm just like, yeah, this is what's going on. I was just a mess. And what he does is he just gives me a, he's a big um, Guatemalan, just thick-chested, broad-shouldered Guatemalan. He's just, boom. And he just sucks me up in a hug. And he says, he says to me, he says, um, you got to be strong for your wife. And so... It was just interesting. There was this comfort from love from this, from this, this, my, this dear friend and this comfort from love from this, this pastor's wife. And he could even speak truth to me. It encouraged me. It brought about courage. Yeah, I got to go. I got to go and, and, and be strong for my wife to, be, to, to, to help her through this. And it just encouraged my spirit. And that's what he's talking about here. Have you experienced any of that in Christ? From other people, being in the church, being a part of the church, and his, and his comfort comes from other people or directly from his spirit. Have you, is there any of that in Christ? And, and he's using this as a motivation. He's using this, this as a motivation. And uh, Matthew Henry says, if a commentator, 
if you have experienced the benefit of God's compassions to to yourself, be you compassionate one to another. And so he's going to use this as motivation to be compassionate, to to be humble, to love self-sacrificially, to think of each other in a loving way, to be one. And so verse 2, as you look in verse 2, he says this. Here's his request. Complete my joy. Complete my joy. Paul, guys, had been instrumental in preaching Christ to them, of teaching them, of growing them up in Christ, and, and bringing them to the grace of God and the love of God. Now he says, if you have found any benefit by your participation of the gospel of Christ, if you have any comfort in it or advantage by it, fulfill the joy of your poor minister who preached to you the gospel. Here's my joy is that you be one, that you would not be divided with strife and dissension and and one-upmanship and all these things. Be one. Stand together for the faith of the gospel. It is the joy of every godly pastor and church leader that the church know and experience the benefits of being in Christ. And also that they be unified. I don't think there's a pastor out there that would, a godly pastor that would want their, their, their flock to be disunified and discord and fighting and dissensions and so forth. But he wants them to be one in Christ full of love and humility towards the other. Um, just another example of this, um, um, a, a missionary that we know, that we, su- that we support at the church and that we know, um, he's, uh, he went to Egypt back in about 2001, and he really went there not sure what he's going to do, but he knew that he, Egypt was the place. And so he went there, and well, what, what he did in the first few couple of weeks, he found a church in Cairo, Found this little church in, in the middle of Cairo, 30 pe- about 30 people. He goes there. They sit in the back for the first time, and they, they, um, they listen to the preacher preach. And, and at the end of the service, the pastor comes, comes out and finds them. They're in the back. They're, and the pastor comes up. He says, are you a missionary? And he says, um, Yeah. And you got to know, Egypt is a Muslim-controlled country. Islamic law rules Egypt and so forth. And, and so he's like, yeah, I'm a missionary. And the pastor says, this is the first time he's been there, he says, um, well, do you want to be the pastor? Will you be the pastor? And he went on to explain kind of the difficulty they were having. They lost their pastor to, I think he had died. And so somebody's stepping in. He's not really a pastor. He's a doctor. And so he explained all this. And, he, and, the, and the missionary's like, well, for one, there's a law against Westerners being a pastor of any church, and that wasn't his heart anyway. He says, um, I, no, I can't be your pastor, but he says, I'll do this. I'll help train up some, I'll help train up a pastor within you. Within this group, I'll help train them up, and you guys will have an Egyptian pastor over this church. And so for two years, they labored and they labored, and they taught the scriptures, and they walked through, and they, and they had to, he had to warn against he talks about having to warn against the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that comes from the West. And he had to warn against those gospels. And he had to teach the, the, the gospel of Christ. And he taught the scriptures. And they trained up a pastor. 
to lead this flock in the middle of Cairo. And what happened was they stood firm in the gospel together. They went forward, and that church grew over the course of about 12 years to about 250 or over, around that many people coming to Christ. And then not only that, they planted two other churches in Egypt that had about the same number. And they planted a, they started a Christian school for, for um, Sudanese refugees to, to get the gospel out to them. And, and what happened was there was a revolution and the Muslim Brotherhood took over Egypt. And this missionary stayed. They stayed during this revolution. It was dangerous. There were some difficult times. He stayed for about two years. And there were some, there were some trying times there. And he kept, kept ministering with these, with these believers. But then eventually, in about 2012, he was forced to leave, he and his wife and his children. And anyway, they're going back in November of this year. And um, they've been in correspondence. I wonder, I, I just wonder if this missionary, if he goes back and he found the church like in disunity. They're fighting, they're in strife, bickering amongst one another. I wonder if that would just break his heart. So we've been striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. They even want to plant, when he goes back this time, they want to plant churches in Lebanon and in Syria. This is their goal. Some difficult places to get, to get the gospel out. And I just wonder, it's like, this is the, uh, once you be of one mind, look at, that's, that's the desire that they be standing, they be together in love, in a community of love. If you look, Paul says, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. By being the same mind, having the same God-glorifying purpose or mind, the same seeking after Christ-likeness, the seeking after the glory of God. And so when, and so if we're all moving that way, if we all have this mind that is together, moving this one way, then then we can learn, we can, we can teach the scriptures, and I can learn from each other. We're all pushing the same way, and I can rebuke somebody else, and, they can t- and I can take a rebuke because the, our minds are one, they're the same. I want to bring glory to God. And if I'm not, somebody can tell me and I can receive it. Because our minds are the same. I want to be more like Christ. We want to get his gospel out there. We want to be of one mind. Be of one mind. He goes on. The same love, having the same self-sacrificing love that Christ has for the church. Our love is modeled after our Savior, our Lord. It's modeled after the self-sacrificing love of Christ. The same love, I should have it, you should have it, we should be growing in this. That this love permeate the relate your relationships one to another. Not strife, not bitterness, not envy, not jealousy, not pride and arrogance. But the same love. Jesus, after washing the feet of his disciples, said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He goes on, being in in full accord simply means a union of soul, one soul. Being full accord, just like one soul is powering you. The church, the the people of God, one soul. Being complete agreement. 
And then he keeps going on, and of one mind. He comes full circle here, being of the same mind, of one mind. And just to reiterate, Paul's heart is that the Christians in Philippi be one in unity and bring glory to the work of Christ and the power of the gospel in them by displaying this oneness. Kind of asked, I kind of got to ask myself, what is my view towards the church, towards the Christian community? Am I moving in oneness together with them? I, I heard that once said about a marriage. Somebody told me, am I moving in oneness towards, with my wife? I am one. The, the Bible says I'm one with my wife, but am I, move, am, I, am I moving in that direction? Am I continually striving to be one with my wife? Or am I out here, my wife's out here? Is there differences and things that I'm going this way and she's going this way? And sometimes you hear divorces say, we have nothing in common because I've gone this way and she's gone this way. And so are we moving in this oneness towards the church, towards the believers? And the last thing here, verse, verse 3, 3 and 4. He says this, this is the way to this unity. Verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, selfish ambition is this. Motivation to elevate oneself. Motivation to elevate oneself. That's what selfish ambition is. Motivation to elevate oneself. And conceit is this high, exaggerated view of self. High, exaggerated view of self. Um, so he says, do nothing. If you look at that, do nothing from. So you should not have this heart of trying to elevate yourself above others in the church. Don't have the motivation to puff up yourself, to make yourself look better than somebody else. And this, guys, can be even good things. In, in chapter 1, he says that if you look at chapter 1, um, verse 17, or actually let's go to verse 15, chapter 1, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. And they can have the gospel correct. He's rejoicing in the gospel that they're, that they're, that they're sharing. So here's the thing. We can do some of these ministry things in the church, guys. But with all the motivation is that I puff myself up as better than others. I want people to look to me, to glorify me, to praise me. And he's saying do nothing from that kind of heart. Do nothing. Slay that kind of heart. Put it to death. Put death to self. Put, put kill it. we got to slay it. it. Hey, that's that even healthy churches that have the gospel right, that have things going right, this, is, this, is, uh, this can divide them right here. This is a danger to them. People doing things for their own glory, 
for their own exaltation above other people, to cut down others for their own exaltation. Do nothing from that. Don't do the music. Don't do your music. Don't do your preaching. Don't do your Sunday school. Don't do your serving to be exalted above another. And then the contrast. The contrast is here. But in humility, this is the heart and the inner disposition that we are to have. In humility. Man, that's, a, that's, a, that's one that cuts right to the heart. In humility. Oh. And it says, um, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Humility, I, I don't have a great definition, but the, the thing is this. If you look at this, it's in contrast to elevating self. Humility, then, is no thought to exalt, to exalt self. It's selfless. Self is slayed on the altar to the Lord. And um, sometimes we can want to be exalted, and we don't get it. And so we, and so what we do is we say, we do things like, um, really my motivation is to be exalted, but I'm not getting exalted by anybody else. So woe is me. Oh, I, I, I didn't, they're not exalting me. They're not praising me. Oh, woe is me. The same, it's still the motivation of selfish ambition. We've got to slay that type of, that type of thinking. It's, it's not thinking of self. It's, it's the glory of God. It's, it's, it's of Christ. It's of the love of, of him and the love of others. And then he goes on. Um, he says, count them more significant. Um, that just means worthy of attention. Noteworthy. Are other people worthy of attention? Or is all the attention going to you? To me? And then he just finishes, running out of time here, he finishes with, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Idea of not just giving close attention and special consideration to your own personal interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, I, I naturally give attention to my own personal interests. But do you give attention to, to others? You know, when you're, when you're serving, uh, when you're doing Sunday school, are you giving attention maybe to those that need some help around you? Are you giving attention maybe to that younger person that's learning how to teach? Are you giving attention to them? Are you growing them up? In music, am I, am I trying to, am I giving attention to others' needs? And so forth. And I just want to close and finish with one last kind of illustration to illustrate this um, doing nothing from selfish ambi ambition or conceit, but in humility considering others more significant than yourselves. Um, we, when we were in Haiti this last time, we had this, this, this driver. He didn't speak English, but his, his name was Roberto. And um, uh, Roberto was, was the driver of our car. And, and um, kind of just a, a long story short that, that they, they, were, they, they had changed our flights. They, they, they changed our flights because it was just a, not so safe for us to be in, in Haiti at that point. And so they changed their flights to come home early. 
but we needed some things to get out of the country early. We needed um, an, what would they call an exit letter for our son. We are adopting a son, um, our son Lele, and we are bringing him home. But in order to leave Haiti, he had to have this paper, which we did not have. And most people have it before. We, we realized that most people have it before they go. Well, we didn't have it at all. And so, and so we had to go get this. We had to go to a couple different places. Well, it was, it was such a time where, where um, people were even embassies. So we had to go to the U.S. Embassy for one thing to get some paperwork. And, and even some of the embassy workers weren't coming in because they didn't have to. It was, it was a little bit sketchy and so they didn't have to come in so there was very few people there we get our papers we get through there but we had one more paper to get and it was an exit letter and so this driver our driver he was just a a a man that was kind of showed this display of, of humility and he worked our way through these through these different blockades and through these through the streets of of port au prince and he was looking out for us he was asked he would stop by the roadside and ask people you know which way should i go he was looking out for us as he, as he navigated the streets, as he talked with people on the streets. And um, not only that, we go into this exit, we go into this government place, it's packed full of people. There's people everywhere. And we walk in and, and uh, we see our driver leaving, Roberto. We're like, where's Roberto going? He's leaving us. And then we find out that Robert, what happened was the lady that needs to sign her exit letters to get out of the country, to get our son out, to get us out back to the United States, She's not coming in. And who knows if she comes in for the next day or two days or a week or two weeks or a month. Who knows? They just don't know. That's kind of the way it works. And so Roberto knows this, our driver. And he, what he does, he personally knows this, this government worker. And he calls her up. And he said, and he, I don't know what he said, but she agreed to come down if Roberto comes and gets her. Okay, and it's kind of dangerous at this point. So come and get you. If Roberto comes and gets me, brings me there, I'll sign their papers, our papers, and then Roberto brings me back. And so that's what we did. So he goes, gets Roberto. He Roberto goes and gets her. She comes. He comes back with her. They sign. We're there for about two hours. They sign our papers. We all leave. This government worker in the middle of all these people. Roberto, um, a couple of other guys. We go out to the car, and. What took place was just simply these guys, Roberto was like, we were like high-fiving, like, yes, we're excited. They got us the papers. We're, we're like, messy, thank you, thank you. We're, we're hugging. All of us are hugging. We're excited about these papers. And, and I just think about what benefit did Roberto have of getting us exit letters and getting us out of the country? What's he benefiting from it? He's going to stay there. He's still there. Roberto is. But he is, he was in humility counting others more significant than himself. He could rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Not envious. Man, he, it was, I, I am so thankful when we left and Roberto got us to the airport for the last time. It was just like we just embraced and gave him a big hug. And we are forever indebted to this man named Roberto. And it was just this act of humility. And that's what the Christian community, the Christian church, guys, 
needs to be all about is that type of looking to others, that type of love for another. Let's pray. Lord God, as we read these verses this morning, it's humbling, Lord. As we look into, as I look into my own heart, see so much selfish ambition and conceit. It's disgusting, Lord. Lord, slay it in us. Lord, turn us from it, Lord. Thank you that in Christ there is a grace and a comfort from love, an encouragement in Christ to keep on moving forward, to keep on pursuing Christ-likeness, to keep on slaying the sin in our own hearts, to keep on, to keep on more and more glorifying you together. So Lord, help us to be one, help us to be unified in Christ for your glory and for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.